This is the Big BM. Analyzing now. A bi-weekly podcast for the Baylor Medicine Internal Medicine Residency Program. Stand clear. Welcome to the Big BM. Welcome to episode three of the Big BM. My name is Eva, and I'm here with my pals and co-chiefs, Jefferson, Holland, Jackie, and Tony. We are so excited to see all the new faces in the hospital and can't wait to start the year off right. Thanks, Eva. Super excited for this episode. Um, this has just been a blast like working on this with you all, so I think we have some good stuff coming up this week. It's a tough time, but it's also the beginning of the year. It's a fun time. Yeah, let's do this. A lot of people are thinking of us and supporting us not just our own program leadership, but also Tulane Internal Medicine Residency just reached out to send us care packages. Some programs in New York reached out to help us. Everybody's eyes are in Houston. Everybody's here for us. And unity is more important than ever. Spoken like a champ. I feel like, again, it was such a big buildup to the interns coming, like from match day and then getting everything together for orientation. And then now they're, they're actually here. They're like a breath of fresh air, these fresh interns ready to go. It's so exciting um, seeing them all step up to the plate. Um, and I think we have some, uh, some good things to, to say to them with a couple of the segments in this podcast. Um, so, yeah, welcome all. I also want to note that, uh, yes, we are socially distanced. This is being recorded via Zoom. I think this will work out pretty well as long as uh, you guys don't put me in a breakout room by myself. (laughs) (laughs) It almost feels personal, you know, when that happens. You're kind of like, oh, they didn't want me in the main room and now I'm alone. (laughs) It's pretty clear that now more than ever, we need to be together. We need to be a family. So we asked our colleagues, what does it mean to you? to be a part of the Baylor family. Hi, I'm Tara Foldis. I'm one of the uh, general internal medicine faculty. I work predominantly in the clinic half of my time and half the time I work in the curriculum office working on the foundational sciences and evidence-based medicine for the medical students, but I'm one of the main clinic faculty in your continuity clinic at the Smith Clinic for Harris Health. We always talk about Baylor family. What are some things, what does the Baylor family mean to you? Well, many of us have been working the faculty and the clinic together for 15, 20 years here. And so we're very, very close and we really think of the residents um, like our friends, like our, our children, like our, co- I mean, definitely like our colleagues, but we, we all work together and we all um, care for each other. I'm Matt Desitels. Um, what do you like about being a part of the Baylor family? Um, I really like the fact that I'm surrounded by extremely intelligent and talented people that also have um, wonderful personalities and everyone uh, really prioritizes teaching and that kind of brings together like a really just positive environment to work and train in and uh, just, just being part of this med center and this program is just kind of an honor. I 
I think when I think of the Baylor family, I think of uh, that we're all in it together. We look out for each other. We cover for each other. We help each other out whenever we need to. And that's something that, you know, as a resident, I saw every day. And uh, as a chief now, I see uh, every day people doing for each other, too. I love walking into the hospital and seeing my colleagues there. It's like the best part of my day, uh, like walking into Morning Report as a resident and seeing your friends. Um, being able to learn together and work together is such a privilege. You know, and especially now when, you know, everyone's so far apart and we spend all this time, you know, virtually together on Zoom, it, it's just nice to hear everyone's voices. And it, it has been a nice opportunity, kind of weirdly, to be able to get to see people that you wouldn't typically get to see if you were just at one pavilion. Um, so it's just a, a nice reminder of the community that we have, even if we can't physically be together. So one of the most exciting and formative times during interneur is the intern night float. And managing all of those pages can be a real hassle. We asked some upper levels and some recent interns, what advice do you have for answering all of those night float pages? Hi, I'm Hal. Um, I'll be in uh, hospitalist at Bentopics there. So I think one thing is, so I, you know, I, I think when I was in Night Float, as an intern, I, I wish I would have known this. Um, and I've kind of developed this uh, as I've, you know, um, progressed, is that, you know, certain pages um, aren't emergencies and you don't have to answer them immediately. And there's, you know, so there's like not really a need to stress over like how many pages you're getting. Um, just take care of the really emergent things first. And then, you know, you always have time to answer the other uh, less urgent pages later, and you don't need to stress about them. Hi, my name is Max Shannon. But in terms of managing the pages, I think I think you just got to take it one step at a time. Um, one thing that I found really helpful for myself is I wrote down every page. Um, I got a, a little moleskin book that I had, and it would just every time I got a page, would write it down and would try to write down like the team name or the team, you know, like A, B, C and the name of the patient. And then just briefly what the call was about. And then I would, I would write down what I did. And so even if, um, even if like I, it was something that I didn't, you know, end up doing anything on, it, it was nice to keep track of. And, and that can be nice one so that you can keep things in your head kind of straight, especially if there are these questions and you get a couple pages at once and you're like, okay, let me take care of this. Let me take care of this. This is more urgent. So these other things can wait. It'll help you not forget about anything. And, and also it's, it's kind of cool to go back at the end of the night or especially the end of the week and see how many patients you cared for and all of the different things that you did. Um, so that's what I found to be the most helpful. My name is Sarah Drudy. Okay, so you're going to hear a ton of advice regarding this topic, okay? I would say experiment and just see what works for you. Uh, you have seven nights to make this work. And it's all about triage. Don't spend too much time working on something that's a DSO, which is a day shift opportunity. Something I did was go to each floor and check in with the nurses. Um, after a while, you'll get to know each other and it makes for a better night. And then I also would write down uh, the hour, each hour on a piece of paper. And then I'd write down what people wanted me to follow up on and kind of cross them off as they went by.
DSO. Oh my God, love the DSO. Well, we used to call it a daytime problems, but I think day shift opportunity is just a reframing and a positive sort of spin on it that uh, I absolutely love it. I love night shifts as a as an intern. It's not. It's fun. The nighttime is the right time. <laughs> Spoken from a natural born moonlighter. <laughs> it is like one of the purest learning opportunities in a sense. I mean, like it's really uh, like an amazing time to grow and kind of spread your wings and develop that independence as a new intern. Agreed. Agreed. So the next segment is from um, Baylor resident and a friend of mine, Scott Carlson, uh, who's going to be a endocrinologist extraordinaire over at Duke in um, North Carolina. We have spent many nights listening to lots of records together. Um, he's going to share a story about patient encounter with the power of music. So sorry to leave you now, baby. Darling, but I just got to say goodbye Well, you know I don't want to see you worried God knows I don't want to see you cry This is being recorded on Father's Day. Music is one of my earliest memories as a child. My father used to play Bob Marley and the Wailers Get Up, Stand Up every weekend and hold my hands as we danced. Ever since, music and song have been a way for me to process the world, its voices, history, and where it's headed. I'm eternally grateful for a father who instilled in me a love for music and a dedication to better understanding and serving others. When I talk with my patients, I always ask them about music and their favorite artists. One of my most memorable patient relationships involved a patient who had been hospitalized for a long time and who I had the privilege to take care of for eight weeks on the wards. When I first met him, it was at the behest of a nurse who had called my very first morning on service to let me know that the patient was refusing to eat. When I arrived at bedside, I was immediately greeted by a man with a wry smile on his face. Where have you been? I know, you've been drinking upstairs in the doctor's lounge. That's why you never come and see me. I learned that day that the patient had advanced dementia and that he would often forget encounters from the day prior. In a mixture of jest and irritation, he would often say things that seemed to exist somewhere on the spectrum of teasing and genuine frustration or accusation. When I asked him why he wouldn't eat, he simply replied, I can't feed myself. In spite of a normal neurologic and strength exam, he claimed to not be able to lift his food to his mouth. Initially frustrated, I quickly became amused and admittedly strangely fond of his antics. While some might say I was enabling the patient's behavior, that day I began to feed him myself. In my mind, I felt that this was his clever way of seeking more human interaction, something woefully absent or infrequent in most patients' hospital experiences. For the first week or so, things would play out like Groundhog Day. The same accusations about this so-called physician's lounge and the same request to feed him. He'd sometimes make playful jabs about my privilege, youth, 
and or presumed quote-unquote seven-figure income. On this edge of playfulness and irritability, ultimately I assumed the former, and our relationship grew. As I spent more time with him, I began to learn more about him, often through the same stories repeated daily or even within the day. One day, a breakthrough. He came to recognize me. There's my favorite doctor. That's my doctor, he would exclaim to nurses or staff in the room when I'd enter. Of course, he kept my ego in check, following up with similar questions and accusations about why I hadn't been visiting more often and what I was doing all day in the doctor's lounge. As I spent more time with him, I began to ask him about his life and the things he enjoyed. He would often begin to answer my questions and then circle back to a present concern or issue. If prodded, he would sometimes exclaim with some exasperation, I just can't remember. I decided to take a different tack and one day asked him about some of my passions, soul and blues music. His eyes lit up and he began to excitedly tell me about singing every week at a blues club in Houston back in the day. Do you know little Willie John? Do you know how Sam Cooke died? These were questions he'd ask me every day. Initially, I only had answers about half the time, but after another several days, I would be able to field all of his questions. Out of some embarrassment, I'd often plod through the answers to try to give credence to the difficulty and obscurity of the questions encompassed in his daily quiz. Often I'd have looked up or read more about the singers, songs, or events he described, and he seemed mesmerized by my knowledge when I'd finally wrap up my answers. But you told me that story, sir, I would say. And he would smile and shake his head. No, I didn't. You knew them because you're my doctor and you care about me. This went on for several days, and I began to ask him if he could remember any songs he used to sing. He would laugh and rattle off one line or so from Mojo Hand or Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, and then with a combination of shyness and frustration tell me that he'd forgotten the rest. Do you want to listen to some songs together? I asked him one day. Do you know Little Willie John? He started in again. Yes, I said. You mean the singer who sang all around the world? That's the one, he said. How'd you know that? And around we would go. Except this time I pulled up the song on Spotify and began to play it. His eyes lit up again. And to my surprise, he began to belt out the lyrics with a beautiful and strong voice. Well, if I don't love you, baby, grits ain't groceries, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was a man. Several of his nurses came running in. Is everything okay? Imagine their surprise upon seeing a patient they'd regarded as quote-unquote difficult, smiling and singing with this resident, who seemed to enjoy spending time with a man, even if it meant feeding him every morning. The small amount of joy that I like to think I was able to impart on that day and the unique opportunity to see a man burst out of the forgetfulness and stigma of his dementia, if only temporarily, to reconnect it with his passions, identity, and soul created a moment and a bond I'll remember forever. From that day on, after our typical discussions, I'd pull out my phone and ask him what he wanted to hear. We'd listen to Sam Cooke, Lightning Hopkins, The Houston Blues Man, he would say, Otis Redding, and many others. He would tap his feet, 
clap, and sing, sometimes stopping abruptly to tell me stories of the history of the singer or the songs we listen to, as well as, sto- as well as stories of his past. At the end of every visit, he would smile and say, why don't you ever come visit me? We could do this more often. Knowing him very well by then, I would smile and say, I know, I know, but I'll see you again Sitting soon. on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Leaving the hospital at the end of those eight weeks for another rotation was one of the saddest memories of residency. I knew that that would likely be the last day I would see him, and as it turns out, it was. Several months later, and back at that same site, I was working through notifications that had accumulated while rotating elsewhere. Toward the end of the list was one that I reread several times in order to process. He had passed away. This was my most meaningful encounter and relationship in residency. I learned more from this relationship than any amount of classroom, hospital, or prior teaching could provide. Behind every challenging patient, quote unquote, is a story, a life, and more importantly, a soul. I learned about the preservation of music and song in the mind and the joy these things can bring. I learned that when we look deeply enough and try hard enough, we can find common ground with anyone, no matter the circumstances. Above all, I learned that to practice medicine in the highest form is to practice unconditional love. We may not have been family, and I would never presume to have been thought of as that by this patient or his family, but by the end of that eight weeks, I was certain that we were kindred souls. On Father's Day, as I think of my father and the bond we form and the things he taught me through music, I inevitably come back to the patient I've discussed. For me, it's a beautiful and full circle example of how we can connect humanistically through music, culture, and art with our patients. If we take the time to ask and then listen, we can sublimate the doctor-patient relationship into a connection that involves not only trust and professionalism, but understanding and shared experience. There is no greater privilege and responsibility than practicing medicine. Caring for another human being, knowing their vulnerabilities, fears, and problems intimately, and being trusted with the task of treating and healing provides a unique opportunity to hone and practice the virtues and responsibilities required of us all to peacefully and productively coexist in this world. Each patient has taught me more about myself and my deficiencies, and in doing so has pushed me to become more just and compassionate. For every patient I've had the privilege to care for, I'm a better doctor and a better human being. Happy Father's Day to all, past, present, and future. May you acquire wisdom, virtue, and love from all you meet and care for. And may you pass these things on to your children. They will remember them forever. If I don't love you, baby Rich ain't grocery, eggs ain't poultry And Mona Lisa was a man And run through the jungle 
What a great way to end episode three of The Big BM. Thank you, Scott, not only for sharing your story, but also for the good music. We look forward to seeing everybody out there on the wards and the consult services, and see you next time. The Big BM.